So what is the, I'm curious, what is, if you have the courage to share, what's the craziest thing you ever done for money? Remember, this is church. So exercise discretion. Maybe I don't want to, want to know the answer to that question. What's the craziest thing you ever done for money? Four jobs at once. Yikes. Yikes. It's crazy. What? Panhandled. Yeah. It's crazy. People are laughing at me because I said that was crazy. Is that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I'm not that crazy. Anybody else? I think. Say that again. Oh, how old were you when you did that? <laughs> 22. 22, okay. So that makes sense. Oh. How much did you make? $10. $10. Ugh. Oh, man. I think the craziest thing I've ever done for money, and it's not gross, unfortunately, but was when we were getting ready to start the church, and we, uh, I did a dare, you know, if we could raise $30,000 in 30 days, I'd, I'd jump out of an airplane. And so I think that's the craziest thing I did. And that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. But I used to work with, with middle school kids, a little bit younger than 22. But middle schoolers are crazy because they will do anything for money. They'll do it for attention, but if you add money, you know, it's like anything's fair game. Right? And so I remember, I remember, I think we got a kid to, for 10 bucks to drink a, a full cup of dirt. You know, we just added a little water. <laughs> Took him like 25 minutes, you know. Um, what else? What else? Uh, one of the funniest things when I was in middle school camp, right? You remember summer camp? Uh, I always did summer camp. And you know how like every group of friends, like you have that guy that'll do anything for like 10 bucks? You know, maybe that was you, AJ. I don't <laughs> you know, it's like he was one of my best friends, a guy named Matt. And so we, we dared him. Uh, there's the guy's you know, Kevin was on one side of the camp, and he had the girl side on the other side of the camp, and we dared him to, to strip down to his whitey tidies and to, to, to run down Teepee Hill, which went, like, right down to their cabin and then touch the front door and go back to the guy's cabin. So he's like, no, I'm not doing that. We're like, come on, Matt, you can, it'll be awesome. You know, he's like, no. We're like, we'll give you 20 bucks. He's like, okay. So for 20 bucks... And he didn't know this, but we alerted all the girls that this was, <laughs> this was coming. So they were waiting with cameras. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I was that friend, you know, the guy, the jerk. <laughs> and so we had alerted the girls. The girls are all waiting for him. And he gets going down this hill, and he's really nervous. And he just started out too fast, you know. And, and you know, it was, it was this really steep hill, and there's just certain laws of physics that if you don't start at the right speed, eventually you're done. And so he's running and uh, his, his knees are getting higher, but his head is, like, going further and further, and his legs just can't keep up, and he loses it. And he's just going end over end over end all the way down this hill, and the girls hop out with their cameras, but when he got to the end, the bottom, not only was he bloody and all the br- whatever, scratches and stuff, but the only thing left of his underwear was the elastic band. Twenty bucks. He made twenty bucks, but he was paying for that for a long time, in pride, because it was gone. We do. We we'll do some crazy things for money, crazy things. But the craziest thing that I've ever heard anybody do for money, and I see it often. Craziest thing. Craziest thing I ever seen anybody do for money. 
is when I see Christians who know what the Bible has to say about money and some of God's promises in regards to money who totally ignore it in order to hold on to what they already have. Right? And I'm not talking about people who are new to the faith and they just don't know. This is new. They don't know. Um, I'm not talking about people who are just seeking this out for the first time and trying to, trying to weigh, you know what, I'm not sure about this church thing, God thing, Christian thing. I'm talking about people who, for a long time, most of them have been coming to church. They know what the Bible says. But when it comes to their finances, they just give God the middle finger. Over and over and over. Absolutely crazy. You know, last week, Neil talked about tithing. Challenging message. We turned up the heat to make it extra uncomfortable in here. And it was hot if you're here. It was uncomfortable in more ways than one. And he talked about tithing. There was a passage of scripture he shared, which is one of my favorite passages of scripture when it comes to money. And it's in Malachi 3. And it says this. Crazy verse. But I love this. This with, with regards to money. This is my favorite verse. Gets to the heart of the matter pretty quick. It says, Will a mere mortal rob God? And God says, Yet you rob me. But you ask, How are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. There may be food in my house. And then he says this, and this is my favorite part. He says, test me in this. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. It's crazy. It's a crazy verse, because elsewhere in the Bible, you know, God says, do not put the Lord God to the test. Right? Do not test the Lord your God. Do not test God. But then God says, there's one exception. There's one exception. I dare you, I dare you to trust me, or test me in this. Go ahead, test me in this, and see how good I am. You be faithful in this, I'll show you how faithful I am. I will blow your freaking mind. All right? That's the, the paraphrase version. I dare you to trust me with my money. I mean... Crazy verse. Now, I know there are people here that, because this is Mosaic, there are people here that you're not quite sure where you, where you land in the whole faith arena. Not only sure what you believe about God, and this is new for you, and you're not so sold on just the Bible in general. Right? And that's cool. By the way, welcome. We're pumped you're here. But just imagine with me for a moment, as an outside observer, just imagine for a moment that God was real. Let's just say that God moved in your life in such a powerful way that you couldn't deny that he was, he was real and that the Bible was true. And then let's imagine that that God actually said, you know what? I'm not asking for a whole lot, but I'm asking for a percentage of your income, and you give that to me, and I'm going I'm to blow it up. Right? I'm going to bless you so much that you won't know what to do. Let's just imagine that for a moment. And then you just ignored it. You just pretended like he never said that in order to hold on to what you already have. Crazy. Isn't that a crazy thought? crazy thing is, is a lot of us in here who have been Christians for a long time, that's exactly what we do. We've been doing it for a long time, just to hold on to what we already have. That's crazy. Crazy, crazy. You know, this week, uh, I know you probably know this because it was all over the news. Um, if you live in the cave, though, I'll let you know. Um, you know, the, the Supreme Court made their ruling on Obamacare, health care reform. Ruled that it was constitutional, and if you're anywhere near Facebook or Twitter, you saw it. And you saw the, the, uh, the outrage. A lot of people were very unhappy, very unhappy about that. And I understand that there's some, there's some legitimate reasons for being concerned, right? The big government thing, the government entering into what's been a private sector up until now, like, I get that. 
I'm a little weary of that too. But if we were really honest, a lot of people are really upset because of higher taxes, right? Because the government is messing with my money. And we do not like people messing with our money. And the crazy thing is, not even God. We don't like God messing with our money. So we're talking about money. And why? Right? Why are we talking about money? Now, I had a conversation with a guy uh, over coffee this week, and he said, so, Aaron, is that Mosaic on Sunday? And you guys are talking about money. Is everything okay? Are you guys doing all right? Uh, we're not talking about money because we need your money. All right, that's actually the really great thing. We, we don't need your money. We don't. It's not why we're talking about it. We're actually in a really great place as a church. We're not even a year and a half old. Um, we're about to wrap up our first fiscal year uh, in August or September, uh, August, and we're about 10% ahead of budget, which is crazy, by the way. That doesn't happen. And that's just testimony of how cool this community is, how many great people we have who believe in what God's doing here. But we're not talking about money because we need your money or because God needs your money. We're talking about money because it's the number one competitor for your heart. When it comes to following Jesus, and especially in the West, it's the number one competitor for your heart. And you probably don't even realize it. And there's a reason for that. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew 6. Going to Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19. This is what it says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And then the light within you, uh, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? For no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. All right, this is a powerful passage, powerfully packed passage. I mentioned this last week, but a fourth of what Jesus talked about was about money. He talked about money more than heaven, more than hell, more than prayer. He talked about money a lot. Apparently, what we do with our money is of great importance to God, that there are huge spiritual implications. And so, He's talking about money, and he gives us, in the middle of this, this passage, this illustration about uh, the eye. Right? He says, uh, the eye is the lamp of the body. And he gives us this, it's just a real simple illustration. He basically says, you know what? Uh, the eye is the only part of your body that can see. And if this doesn't work, regardless of how much light is in the room and all around you, uh, in a sense, your whole body is full of darkness. You can't see what's going on. Right? So if your eye is working correctly, like in this room, right, you can see where I'm standing, where people are sitting, the chairs, the pipe and drape, and you can navigate your way through the aisles and get around without falling on your face. But if your eye do not, does not work, even though you might be surrounded with light, right, your body is in a sense in darkness because you can't see what's going on. Right, it's basically what he says. And then what he does is he sandwiches uh, money on, on both sides of this little illustration here. Right, and it's not that Jesus is schizophrenic. Right, Jesus was a masterful teacher. He's being intentional here. Right? He's putting flesh on what he's teaching us. He's helping us to see how this actually fleshes itself out. Right? If you go to Luke 11 and 12, he uses the exact same, uh, the exact same illustration. Right? It's a little bit maybe even easier to see what he's getting at. He uses the exact same illustration. 
uh, about the eye being the light of the, your body, and if your eye is dark, then your whole body is dark. And he also talks about money, go figure, does that a lot. And then Jesus, after that, talks about this in verse 15. He says, so watch out for greed. So watch out for greed. And what Jesus is saying is there's something, there's something particular about the sin of greed that affects us in a unique way. There's something about greed and its redneck cousin materialism. There's something about greed and materialism that blinds us, that affects our ability to see reality. And when we're broken in that area, it affects everything else. It affects our ability to perceive what is actually true and what is actually going on. And in this way, it's actually different than other sins, right? Because Jesus never said, watch out for adultery. Right? He didn't say, watch out, you might be committing adultery. He doesn't need to say that. Right? Nobody says, this is not my wife. How did this happen? I'm committing adultery, aren't I? Right? He, he didn't have to say that. Right? If you're committing adultery, like you know that that's going on. That's something you choose very clearly. Right? But when it comes to greed, it says, watch out. Watch out because you might be greedy. Because greed hides itself. It blinds us. Which, by the way, is precisely the reason that none of us in this room think this is our issue. If I were to ask you, if we were sitting down having coffee and I was asking, you know, are you a, are you a greedy, materialistic person? I'm going to venture to guess that very few of you are going to be like, yeah, yes I am. I struggle with greed and materialism. Right? I have people come to me all the time and they want to talk about stuff that they're going through and, and issues and sin. Some of it's nasty stuff, right? They want to process through it. They want to confess it and talk about it. They'll talk about bitterness. They'll talk about resentment, unwillingness to forgive, talk about addiction to pornography. They'll talk about, I've had people talk to me about homosexual feelings and attraction and what to do with that. I mean, you name it, a lot of stuff. Never, 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 never have had anybody come up to me on their own and say, you know, I think I'm a greedy son of a gun and it's killing me. I think I have a problem with materialism. Never. Nobody has ever said it. Because nobody, none of us think it's our issue. It's somebody else's issue, right? It's somebody who has a lot more money than me. It's somebody who lives a lot more extravagantly than me. It's not mine. And what Jesus is saying, you don't even consider the possibility that you're greedy. You just don't think that you are. Me, greedy? No, that's, 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 that's rich people. That's not me. Right? And the problem is that we've all got friends that have a lot more than we do significantly, right? In fact, some of us, probably most of us have a relative who has more than we do. They live more extravagantly. They live in a nicer house, drive a nicer car. They go on nicer vacations. And so none of us ever feels rich. Then that's, that's how this works. All you have to know is one person, one person who you perceive to be greedy, and now you don't think it's your issue. That's theirs. It's a scary thing. It's all it takes. Rich people, that's their problem. That's our problem. We're filthy rich. Aren't we? Can we just admit that? We are filthy rich. Which I know is really hard for some people in this room to feel. Or to, to accept. Because you don't feel rich. Right? It's not lost on me that probably most people in this room, most of us, live paycheck to paycheck. And if you were to miss a paycheck, you'd be in financial trouble really, really fast. I get that. But you zoom out a little bit. I mean, if you don't think you're rich, you need to get out a little bit more. And go to a, a developing country. That will change your perspective a little bit. All right, just consider this, okay? If you make over $35,000 a year, just $35,000 a year, which is not a lot, you are in the richest 5% of the world. You are richer than 95% of the people on earth. 
95% of people would look at you and say, oh, what it would be like to be you. You are wealthy. What is it like to own a car? Right? How many people have a garage? Come on, be honest. Me too. We have houses for our cars. <laughs> we do. And some of them are like insulated and everything. Nice. Right? Those houses for our cars, our garages, are bigger than a lot of people's homes. Right? Have a garbage disposal? What do you put down there? Sheet metal? Plastic? No, right? What do we put down there? We put food. Food that in other parts of the world people would die to have. Right? Jesus says in this passage, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth. Right? The storage building industry in the U.S. It's a $12 billion a year industry. That's $232 million a day to store the stuff that doesn't fit in our home because we're so poor. Right now, I know that this is uncomfortable. Listen, I'm not trying to shame you into giving money to this church. We don't need your money. That's not what I'm trying to do. But can we just get honest for a second? Can we have an honest conversation? We are filthy, stinking rich. We are, even if we don't feel that way. Even if you make minimum wage, we're rich. But the problem is that we compare ourselves with people who have more than us, and so we never feel rich. Never feel rich. And Jesus says, this is what greed does in our lives. It blinds us to reality. And so here's the thing. If you're here this morning, you're like, yeah, that's not my issue. That's a bad sign. That's a really bad sign. Right? What Jesus is saying, this is how it fleshes itself out. One of the symptoms is you don't think it's your issue. You're convinced it's not. Bad sign. And Jesus says, this is just one of those things. This is one of those sins. Watch out. This is an eye sin. It affects the rest of your body. It affects your ability to see it darkens your sight. It blinds you. Which is why we, as the wealthiest people in the world, and we are, can say, I don't have enough money to give generously. I don't. Right? Every time that we talk about money, we haven't much. Like I said, this is probably the third or fourth sermon out of 60 uh, that we've actually talked about money. Um, this is why every time the issue of money comes up, without exception, the vast majority, most, most people, will we'll say, I, I just, we can't afford it right now. I can't afford to be generous. Right? But about to get real, okay? Then you look at the house that they live in and the car that they drive, what they fill that house with, and the vacations that they go on and the clothes that they wear. It's like, no, how delusional are we, really? It's not that you can't afford it. It's you're driving your tithe. Right? You just chose that instead. Like, can we just at least be honest about that? Like, that was just... We came down to it. If you're a follower of Jesus, again, and you know what the Bible has to say, at some moment that was more important to you than giving generously. Like, sounds harsh, but it's true. And the, and the funny thing is people come to me and they look for affirmation. You know, like I can change what the Bible says, you know, because I'm a pastor, you know. We just can't afford to, to give generously. I know God calls us to, but here's what's going on in our lives. It's like, what am I supposed to say to that? You're right. I'm sure it doesn't apply to you. Just do what you want. I'm sure that's what God meant by that. Just, just, you know, I mean, it sounds harsh, right? It really does. I understand that. But let's just, let's just not lie about it, all right? And I know this is a hard message to hear. It's a really fun one to give, I promise, right? But it's the truth. And we have to wrestle with, even if, even, even if we're paycheck to paycheck, and the idea of giving generously right now, you just feel like there's 200 pounds on your shoulders at this moment, right? We at least have to... Ask the question, could it be possible that we struggle with greed? Could it be possible that greed is the reason that we are living paycheck to paycheck? 
It could be. It could be. In fact, that would, I mean, you know, people say, I don't have enough money to give generously. I mean, what if, what if you don't have enough money because you don't give generously? We have to at least consider that possibility. And honestly, biblically, that would make a lot more sense. Jesus continually says and teaches. The Bible continually teaches. But Jesus himself goes out of his way multiple times to say, like he does in Luke 16.10, Jesus says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Right? Exact same thing he says in Matthew 25. Right? To the one who is faithful with a little. Jesus said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. Now I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. To the one who is not faithful, even what he had, right, was taken away and giving to the one who was. Right, and sometimes I hear people say, I, we've said it, I've said it. Man, if, if we had a lot of money, it would be so awesome to just give so much away. You know, like if I won the lottery, my favorite part would be giving to this part and this part and this part. You know, if we just had enough money. And the truth is, if you're not giving now, you wouldn't then. Come on. God, God knows that. Like, cause it, I mean, I think Neil might even mentioned last week, it's, it's a lot easier to write the $100 check than it is to then write the $1,000 check and then later to write the $10,000 check. It gets harder and harder and harder. And Jesus says, look, if you want to be entrusted with more, I, I've already given you something. If you be faithful with that, honor me with that, I'm going to blow your mind. If you're not, well, we'll see. Right? So how about you? Self-assessment time, think about it. Heart level, on a level 1 to 10, how uncomfortable are you in this moment? I'm pretty uncomfortable, just so you know. All right, I know. This is a hard issue. But whether you realize it or not, and here's what you've got to realize, is that money is in competition for your heart. And it has been for a very long time, whether you realize it or not, is the number one competitor for your heart when it comes to following Jesus. And Jesus says that you can't serve God, both God and money. It's going to be one or the other. So either you will worship God with your money, or what the natural pull is going to be, you will worship money as your God. Like, there's no middle ground. It's, it's, it's literally one or the other. Right? Remember middle school? It's like, will you go out with Stephen? Check yes, check no, check maybe. You know what I mean? There's no maybe. But I feel like spiritually what a lot of us do is we, we want to check that maybe box because we have something, right? 20 bucks, 100 bucks. Because we want to feel like we're doing good, but, man, we know. That's not generous. So, that being said, how is it, if, if money does have power over some of us, how is it that we break that power? And that's pretty simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. And we'll go back to verse 19, where we began. It says this, it says, Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Right? Literally, he says, don't treasure earthly treasures, but treasure heavenly treasures. Right? The idea... What the Bible speaks to is that there is every, everybody has something that our heart longs for. There is something that we want so badly that we're willing to pay almost any price to get it. Right? You remember the Lord of the Rings? The precious. Right? Great example of just this thing that consumes our appetite. It consumes our behavior. It propels us forward. It shapes us. Everybody has something. Everybody has something that they treasure so much that they think, if I could have this one thing, it would all be worth it. And it can be a lot of different things. Perhaps for you, it might be money. It's feasible. 
For some people, it is money itself. For others, it's career. It's a dream of where you'll be in the future, what you'll accomplish. Status. Status that you'll achieve there. Maybe it's security. Right? Put money away. Feel like I have some level of control in an uncontrollable world. Maybe romance. Maybe romance is your treasure, right? Seeking out that one person that will complete you. Thinking that if I could just find that one person who loves me and that I'm just crazy about that romantic relationship, that'll be it. That's the thing. That's what I'm missing. Maybe it's family. That's a big one in Lincoln. Do anything for my kids. Even disobey God for my kids, right? Something that they treasure at their core, that they'd be willing to pay just about anything for it. And the Bible speaks to this truth that every treasure but Jesus is going to demand your life. He'll demand that you die to purchase it. There's a part of your heart and soul that's going to have to die to pursue that. And the sad reality is most people spend most of their days pursuing whatever that is. Sometimes they get it only to be disappointed and move on to the next thing. Many people don't. Right? The Bible speaks that you will have to die to purchase it. But Jesus is the only treasure that died to purchase you. Right? The only way to break the power of money over our lives is to treasure Jesus first and foremost. Right? And Jesus, right, how do we do that? What did Jesus do with his treasure? Right? He's given everything. He's given the keys of the kingdom, all power, and he gives it all back into the Father's hands. So here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do. I want to give you three very practical, tangible ways to do a little self-assessment this morning. All right. Since it's been comfortable now, I want to make sure to make it uncomfortable from here on out. Um, but seriously, though, if, if greed is one of those things that, that hides itself and that blinds us, right, and that causes us not to ask hard questions, then we need to really be intentional about asking some hard questions and seeking out whether or not this is our issue so we can invite Jesus into it, so he can heal that and change that in us. All right, so here's number one. One of the ways... One of the ways that you know that you have spiritual wealth and that money does not have power over you is how you react to rich people. How do you react to rich people? People who have more than you, perhaps significantly more than you. I think many of us, at least some of us, resent rich people. Right? We criticize them. If I'm honest, when I walk away from Jesus, left my own stuff, that's where I go. Because I was raised in a family where we didn't have much money at all. I remember in middle school having one pair of jeans that I wore every day. I remember getting bullied for it and mocked and made fun of. I couldn't afford anything more than that. One pair of jeans. Now, I made a mistake in getting boss jeans, so I had, like, boss. You know, so it's not like it was subtle. (laughs) But what ended up happening is that did something in me. And I grew up without wealth and very angry towards those who had money. And I would criticize those who had money. Look at the house that they're buying. Can you believe that? They don't need that. Look at the car that they're driving. They're going on vacation again to Fiji. Awesome. That's practical. You know what I mean? How do you react to rich people? How do you react to rich people? If that's your reaction, is this anger and resentment, then money has power over you still. And on the other side of that coin, if you covet what other people have, and you just got to have it, and that is what what propels you forward to work as hard as you do to get what they have because you need it so bad, then obviously money has power over you. But when Jesus has a hold of your heart and soul, free reign over your life, you're free to love rich people. Right? It frees you to a point where you just don't even really care about money anymore. It's not that big of a deal. How do you react to rich people? All right, second one. 
Another way you can tell that money does not have power over you is that you can respect poor people. And this one is harder than you think because you don't need a lot of money. In fact, I would say most people in the middle class, uh, we struggle with this. When we look at people who are impoverished and who take advantage of the system, right? Hear that language a lot. People who are yeah, panhandling, right? I mean, we have a bad attitude towards people like that, oftentimes. And, and the thing is, the assumption is that we're better than and they're less than. Right? Because we derive a certain amount of our identity and our status from where we're at economically. And those who are beneath us, we feel a certain level of superiority. And the thing is, if you grew up in the same situation as some of those people, with the same challenges, with as few opportunities, I mean, would we be that much better? I mean, really? Can we say that we'd be that much better? I don't think we can. I don't think we can. And so one of these evidences that money has no power over you is when you're with poor people, not only do you respect them, I mean, you expect to glean from them. They have something to offer. You expect to learn from them. That's hard. That's mighty hard. That, that's not natural. That takes a work in here. That's one of the things that the gospel does in our lives. God produces when we're free of money, when he has that. And then lastly, the third sign that money has no longer has any power over you is you get really generous. You probably knew I was going there, but it's the truth. You get really generous. One of the interesting things about verse 22 in our passage, you know, where it says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body is full of light. Um, the word good has a double meaning in Greek. Right? The word good also translates to the word generous. Now, one of the things that happens in us when God has a hold of our heart and soul, has access to everything, is that you're given a generous eye. Or you begin looking for ways to be generous, to give away. Because God has given you so much, you can't help yourself. So you're always looking. You're looking at your friends. You're looking at your neighbors. You're looking at your church. You're looking at your city for ways to give. Because when you come to grips with what Jesus has done for you, right, 10% or whatever is not that much. Right? I'm glad Jesus didn't tithe his blood 10% because it would cost him too much. Right? That's just one of the things that happens. We get really, really generous. So, of course, the question then that everyone wants to ask is how much? Right? Okay, you've been using generous, this generous term, exactly how much? And, and here, here's what I'd say to that. Right? And again, I want you to know that I realize that there's many people in here that are living paycheck to paycheck. I get that. I know we have single moms. I know we have a, lot of, a fair number of college students. And I know that the average college student is graduating with six to $10,000 worth of debt. That's not school debt. It's often credit card debt and other kinds of debt. Like, I get that, all right? So I understand that, and I want you to just know that I'm privy to that. But here, here's what I say. You know, Neil talked about this 10%. Um, I would say what you need to give, you need to give enough money away this year that it sacrifices your lifestyle. I know we're all pumped to hear that message. You need to give enough money this year that it sacrifices your lifestyle. Right? If you give money and it doesn't really cut into the way that you live, then it's just religious hoopla. Like you're just jumping through the hoops of religion. Right? But, but one of the biblical truths is that worship is proportionate to sacrifice. And God calls us to exercise faith and generosity. And if it doesn't affect and cramp your style, then it's not generosity. It's not costing you really anything. And the thing with the 10% is, in most places in the world, in most contexts, 10% is plenty. I mean, it is 
It's, it's, there's a cross in the 10%. It's going to demand sacrifice. It's going to hurt. Right? And that's worshipful. Right? So, and for some of the people in this room, 10%. I mean, you're sweating just thinking about it. You've already decided, nah. You know? And, and for some of you, that's going to be less. At least to begin with. Right? But there's got to be something that cramps your lifestyle. It's got to involve sacrifice, a sacrifice of your lifestyle. And for some people, and here's the thing, here's why 10% doesn't work on both sides. For some people in this room who are part of this community, 10% is not enough because it doesn't cramp your style. It doesn't demand any sacrifice. It hardly makes a dent. Right? Maybe you started with 10% like 20 years ago, and you've just been kind of flying at that bare minimum because that's what you think. Right? But you know you can do more. And that's, that's the challenging thing about this, is none of us could say, you know what, I couldn't give any more than I do. I don't see any needs that I could begin to meet. I give as generously as possible, right? I don't think any of us would probably dare to say that. And that's the hard part, and that's what makes it so personal. But it's got to demand sacrifice. Got to demand sacrifice. So here's the, here's the good news. Here's the good news I want you to walk away with. All right, well, yes, does God love you? Yes. Whether you give or not, yes. Is God's grace sufficient? Absolutely it is. Right, but he does call us to obedience. And part of repentance is turning from the life that we've known to the life that everybody else has lived or lives around us and letting God have full access. And that's part of repentance, right? It's just a religious word for turning from our life of sin in God's grace and letting him change the way that we live and change who we are. And God calls us to be faithful not with what we don't have, but he does call us to be faithful with what we do have. Okay, so that being said, here's my, here's my dare. All right? I want to I dare you in the same way that God dares us in Malachi 3. Right? And I, I had said this uh, last year, which was like the last time we talked about money. It was like a year ago. Um, I want to throw out a dare that some people took me up on. And I, I, I want to dare you in the same way that God dares us in Malachi 3 to test him in this. If you think this is a load of crap, I dare you. I dare you for six months to, to practice generosity towards God, to prayerfully decide what percentage of your income you will give and stick to it, even when it's hard. And if after six months God does not do something profound in you, if he doesn't show up in ways that shocks and surprises you, then stop. You know, and maybe God will smite me for saying that. You know, But that's how confident I am in God's faithfulness. And that's what I've experienced in my own life. That God is that good. And he is that faithful. But until we're obedient, we'll never, you'll, you'll, you'll think for the rest of your life that it's just another pastor who wants your money. I dare you to take God up on that. All right, that being said, if you will, I said this last week, I'm going to say it again. If you're serious about this, all right, if you'll take me up on this challenge and take God up on his dare in Malachi 3, then one of the things I would dare you to do is, and if this church is your home, and again, if you are already a follower of Jesus, if you're not, this doesn't apply to you. But if you are, and this is your church home, I would dare you to automate it. Right? Every month, I have certain things that come out regardless of whether I want to give them. My mortgage and my car payment. Right? I don't get to decide, well, not this month. Sorry, Wells Fargo. You know, They're automated. And I just have to live in such a way that there's money in the account when that transaction goes through. I would dare you to do the same thing with God and with your tithe. To not let that be the thing that you cut out when you went out to eat too many times that month, but to make that the first check that you write, to automate it. So in the back on that table, if you're willing, you're not making any kind of commitment by taking this home, but this does represent 
a scary, very tangible, practical step of faith. Um, I dare you to take this home and prayerfully talk with your spouse or just if you're single, pray about it yourself about what God would have you give. If you're from another church, do that with your other church. And in this very sexy mosaic envelope uh, is something real plain. <laughs> it's an EFT form uh, and an envelope back to mosaic. All right, that's the practical dare, and that's all I'm going to say about that. So that being said, here's what we're going to do. Uh, I'm going to close this in prayer, uh, and then we're going to take our offering. And I don't like taking the offering after a sermon like this because it feels sleazy. But it's not why we're taking it. We always take it at this time. And if you're a guest, you need to know that this particular part of the service is not for you. Right? You're our guest. And this is for those of us who call Mosaic home, who are in here, and who want to worship God financially. All right? But if you're a guest, let it pass by. It's not weird. It's totally normal. That's why we do it. You're our guest. We're just pumped that you're here. So as we're they're coming up, uh, let me pray. Lord God, I pray for myself, and I pray for everybody in this room. I pray for those who are really not happy with me right now. Um, I pray, God, that you would soften our hearts. I pray for those who are flirting with the idea that they will maybe, maybe change something. Maybe they will take you up on your dare to test you with our finances. I pray, God, for courage and for faith ultimately. And then, God, as we practice faithfulness as a community, God, I ask that you would, you, the God who does not change, you, the God who always keeps his promises, that, God, you will do that in this particular arena of our lives, that you will do what you said you will do, and that you will honor that and bless that. Not to say that it won't be hard, not to say that our income is going to increase in the next three months or anything like that, but that, God, you would use those gifts to change lives, and to change us. Lord, we love you, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, so one more announcement as they're taking offering. One more announcement is this. Uh, next week, we are starting at the movies. Uh, yes, which I'm, I'm very excited about. And so for us as a church, you have to know that we kind of have a, a, a rhythm uh, throughout the year of conversations that are harder to have, and just so you know, talking about money is like a 400 level conversation. It's hard for those of us who have been following Jesus for a long time. So if you're new to this whole thing, worry not. It's supposed to be hard, all right? But we also have other conversations, other series that are geared more towards kind of being access points for people who are new to church, who are asking questions. This whole thing is weird and foreign, and they're not sure how they feel about it. We want to do certain series throughout the year that are really easy for people to engage for God to do something cool in their lives. And so we're doing it at the movies. And it's going to be very fun. It's going to be very creative. We're going to pop popcorn. Um, by the way, next week we're going to a whole different setup in here. Uh, we're going to two screens. We're going to use the stage. And we have our second worship band that's going to start leading us next week. Which is super cool. They're excited. And uh, so anyway, so here's, what, here's another. Uh, I'm challenging you all over the place. Here's what I want to challenge you to do and invite you to do for those who are willing. Um, back on the table, I've got 4,000 of these babies. 4,000, and I want to paint the city of Lincoln with these things this, this week. And we will, whether you help or not, but it'd be really cool if you'd help. And so here's, here's what I want, would challenge you to do. All right, if you've got neighbors who you don't know, or neighbors that you do know, friends, family, coworkers, whatever, and you've been kind of waiting and unsure, maybe nervous, or maybe you've been inviting them to Mosaic and they just haven't come yet, 
What we want to do is we want to put a bunch of these in your hand, however many you're willing to distribute. And what I challenge you, one way to, to just kind of make this kind of fun and creative and not salesman-y or, I don't know, you know, you know, here you go, come to my church. Feels kind of weird sometimes. But one cool way that you can kind of get the word out and make people aware of this community is take a, what we're going to do is we're going to take microwave popcorn, flyer, and we're going to rubber band them together, and we're going to hit a ton of houses this week. Um, and so, and I'm going to give these two to some of my neighbors and stuff like that that I've been just loving on, building relationships with, and they've been thinking about Mosaic but haven't come. This is a cool opportunity to be able to invite people. And if we all do it, it'd be really cool to see more intentionality with the distri distribution of these with people that we do have relationships with. Um, and then with the rest of them, we're going to drop them on front steps. So those are back on the table. Take as many as you're willing to, to put out there, and we're going to do the rest. So that being said, if you will, uh, let's stand and let's end by just worshiping in song together.